Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? So we just found out that like our window in our apartment like opens like really, really, really wide. So we have this like huge, like maybe 20 foot long window that basically opens like all the way up and it's really cool. Um, and we've just been like, we kind of almost threw a pillow out of it today. Um, but that's been we've just been having the window open and like blasting music and it kind of feels like we're outside so that's been nice so you don't have like a roof no we don't have a roof and i don't think any building around us has an accessible roof which sucks but um yeah we're not fancy smh even i have a roof and i live in the city of philadelphia you only live on the fourth floor though so you don't have, you don't even have a view from your roof. Oh, I have a view. I have a view of the parking garage of a grocery store that just closed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We can see them doing construction every day. Uh, we're across from a library. We can see people. Actually, no one's in the library. But uh, <laughs> theoretically, we can see people studying. We have quite a view. I have a view. I live across from a bar that's closed now because, you know, of COVID, but it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the street that I live on, like, looks like an alley, but the houses on it are really nice. So, you know, I'm living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we're all living. Um, <laughs> barely. <laughs> we should pivot to real estate. To selling sunset like Lorraine wanted us to. No, a real estate podcast. That would be the worst. Wait, that would actually be so bad. Wait, are there real estate podcasts out there? There must be. It's just like a a gentrification podcast. That'd be, oh my God. I, I feel like that's every real estate podcast. Like every real estate podcast is a gentrification podcast. Yikes. Top real estate investing podcast of 2020. Uh, this is not a niche that I want to tap into. No, thanks. Yeah. The one thing I do like, like about real estate is that like people, if you like go into real estate, you're guaranteed to live in a nice house which is cool (laughs) that's not necessarily true i feel like real estate people would live in a bad house so they can flip it later yeah i guess like if you have like morals you'd live in a nice house but if you don't never mind i'm not here to judge real estate people you know you live yo i think it'd be so fun if we had like a real estate show podcast but it's like college students like subletting so you just like go around houses and just leverage like ratchetness to like your budget and what's feasible and roommates. That could actually be really funny. That could be funny. And then just like bring up like random details about like what happened to this wall or like this thing or um, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so the only downside to this location is um, Brett jumped into the wall one night. <laughs> So we'll give you $500 off. Anyways, for today's episode of Two Virgins, we're really excited because we will be interviewing director Bora Kim over a glass of Yerba Mate. Great. Let's get into the podcast. 
So for today's drink, I chose yerba mate. I personally have the enlightened mint flavor. Um, I like yerba mate a lot. Um, I was introduced to it because it seems like everyone on campus is a campus rep and just has a lot of free yerba mate. So um, I think this is one of the only times I've ever had to pay for it, which was interesting. <laughs> but it has uh, lots of caffeine and like is just kind of delicious. What do you think? Yeah, I had never heard of yerba mate until last year when I walked into someone's house and there was just like boxes on boxes on boxes of yerba mate. And at first, I'm not going to lie, I was skeptical of, I don't know, I just feel like, first of all, the brand ambassador thing really turns me off. So right off the bat, I was like, no, this ain't it. But then I was offered a free yerba mate, so gladly I accepted. And it honestly tastes freaking great. It's like not too sweet. Um, and it's pretty refreshing. And personally, I don't know. I don't really feel caffeine usually, if, unless it's from like coffee. But yerba mate definitely get like a kick from, which is just really dangerous and kind of crazy. And like, I'm wondering, is there any bad side effects to it? Do you know? No, I just think that it has like a lot of sugar. Um, yeah, it only has like 28 grams of sugar. That's not terrible. Um, I think it's basically like a Coke with like realer ingredients. I don't really know what it is. <laughs> it says that it has twice the amount of caffeine as in black tea, but less than half that of coffee. Oh, their whole strategy of making everyone a brand ambassador like really paid off because like it's like relevant now and it wasn't relevant like five years ago. So yeah, we can look into the company. Let's see the CEO of Yerba Mate. Also the next thing on Google says, does Yerba Mate make you poop? Very, very real question. I was wondering that as well. Yo, the CEO of Yerba Mate looks exactly like what you think the CEO of Yerba Mate looks like. Is it like kombucha vibes? Yeah, he's like an old white guy in his like 50s who looks like he hikes all the time. Oh my god, something is off I can't that find, What the I hell? I can't find a single picture of him inside. He's outside in every single picture. <laughs> Dude, there's something off the eyes. The eyes are piercing uh, he, into my soul. I feel like he literally just took another like... Those eyes cannot be real. Do you see how piercing blue they are? Do yeah, you man. see that? Yeah, I don't know about him. It's like he knows, he knows that you need the caffeine. He also looks like young and old at the same time. He got a BA from Harvard in economics. Really? Classic. Mood killer. Mood killer. <laughs> I really thought he grew up in the rainforest and that's where he got his education. He did not. <laughs> We're going to move on to talking about um, the interview we have for today, which is director Bora Kim. She recently directed her debut film, House of Hummingbird. And oh my God, like Sam will tell you and verify this is true. 
is like after I watched this movie, I was like, you have to watch this movie. I it unexpectedly, so unexpectedly, like moved me to tears. And I just remember like in my bed at like 2 a.m. with like dingy lighting in my room and just like crying for no reason. And I was like, what is going on? Um, but basically this film follows um, a middle school girl called Yoon-hee and basically just takes you with her adolescence and you basically see like all sides of her life from her family life to her friends to her school life to the way that she processes all these different things that make up who she is and how she's growing to be. It just is a very, very raw film, and it's very clear that the director has a strong sense of what human beings are actually like, and also a strong sense of herself and her identity. Yeah, for anyone like looking to get into this film, just be ready to have your heart broken like over and over and over though. But it's an incredible film, and it's a relatively long film that doesn't feel long at all. It goes by super quickly, even though at surface level, um, the events that are transpiring happen over the course of a long period of time. You're always engaged in it. Really, um, what I loved most was that even the characters that you feel like you shouldn't like, you can still empathize with. And I think that's... Um, just an example of well-written characters in a story that time was put into. Yeah, and what's actually funny is that the reason why I watch this film is because Sazy Seely, who we had on our podcast and directed Lucky Grandma, um, when we asked her for movie recommendations, she was like, oh, I heard House of Hummingbird is really, really good, and I really want to watch it. And then I thought about it one day, and I was like, um, yes. Asian female director recommending another Asian female director. I was like, I have to watch this movie. And also, Borakim is so young, like, killing the game at such a young age. Um, and so, yeah, because of this recommendation, I watched this film. And again, like, it, it completely threw me off and surprised me. And I know that it, it's gotten a lot, a lot of recognition in South Korea and obviously with COVID and stuff, like the film industry isn't doing too great in America. And I think that everyone, everyone should stream this movie. Please buy this movie. Please support this movie. It gets in the, it deserves all the recognition. Definitely. And just even looking at all of the awards it's won so far, it's ridiculous. It's Wikipedia page is already like <laughs> hella, hella long because it's just cleaning up everywhere. So definitely check the film out. Um, it'll definitely change the way you see filmmaking this year. Yeah. And with that, uh, I think we're just going to call her on right now. Hello. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little sleepy because I'm, I'm a totally night person, but I'll try my best to answer any questions that you ask. That sounds great. We're just so excited to have you on. Um, we both like saw the movie pretty recently and just like absolutely loved it. This is what I told everyone about your movie is that I never, I never cry during movies. Like the sad movies, people are like, Teresa, why aren't you crying? You don't have a heart. 
But this movie, I was crying so hard in my bed. <laughs> For some reason, I like to hear when people are saying they cried a lot while watching the film and after watching the film. And actually, I like when they say, you know what? I cried a lot, but I didn't know why I was crying. I don't even know how to explain. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe how I felt at the end. I guess like my first question, probably a pretty obvious question would be about just like how much does the movie House of Hummingbird reflect on your own experiences growing up? I feel like like how much it, it was similar to my experience or how much it was different to uh, to my life was like it's not necessary anymore because a lot of people audiences like around the world they find Uni's story as their own story so I felt like this is like collective story and like it's not my story anymore well of course like when I was working on first draft it felt like really personal story but you know, as a filmmaker, you structure story. Like, of course, you bring your experience or your deep emotions that you felt when you make, especially when you make first feature film. But I don't see this film as like my personal story anymore because it's like a outcome of endeavor of six years. <laughs> and like throughout the six years, I was... I was actually working like a mathematician or scientist. You know, I structure scenes and like always thinking about how to bring like suspense or rhythm and conflict. I was mean to Uni. <laughs> I was very like faithful to the, you know, like notion that main character has to suffer that so that audience can enjoy the film more. I think I was very faithful and I was always thinking like how I can make Uni like suffer more and like with their sadness like that sort of thing. Like I'm I'm joking but true. Um so but like I but I didn't want to bring like uh suffering for no reason. Like it there has to be always reasons. So I bring like many things I write many things and you know, like, uh, and also like making structure for this film was hard because um, this story seeming, it's seemingly like nothing is really happening. A lot of people like audiences uh, say like, this is a really like meditative, slow film and like nothing is really happening, like slice of life. But to me as a writer, like I, I see this story as like really, really like dynamic, like a very dynamic and spectacular story. Um, of course, that spectacles happen inside of her, the main character. But like to make that inside inner spectacles, it's I think it's a lot of like you need to work a lot as a director to make that conflict like daily lives special to make the daily lives um having like ongoing conflict and resolution that i think that work is like art of i don't know making structure and it was like a work of work as a scientist and mathematician i would say yeah <laughs> 
one of the things that impressed me so much about the film was just like how accurately you depicted what like being in middle school feels like and like I think often especially like when I look back at middle school it kind of seems like this blur of like chaotic and confusing memories and then when I watched this film it like activated so many feelings that I forgot that I had in middle school like you're very aware of what's going on you know even though you're Mm -hmm. so young and so when you're making this film how did you so accurately piece those feelings together and I'm only 20 and I'm already forgetting and like how did you accurately remember what being a middle school girl really felt like? And what scenes do you think were particularly important for you to portray this type of sensitivity? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. And I think that question would be related to your first question. Um, to write about story on adolescence uh, and I'm not teenagers anymore. And I didn't want to make this story um, in a lens that everything is fine because I'm adult and that's past. Um, But I didn't want to make this story as like negative memories that everything was bad or anything. Like I really, try to make this story as a story with happiness and sadness and everything of life Um, because a lot of people say it like a habit that they were happy when they were teenagers and like they complain about their uh, you know other times because they have so many things and like they have to make money, but they were always like nostalgic about their teenager days. But like, I feel like that sounded like an illusion because you suffered a lot when you were teenagers because you, I, I see teenager as minorities because you are financially dependent on some, someone. You are also emo- emotionally dependent on someone and you're physically growing like during summer break you grow so much and like you have like this growing pain that's like a really absurd like situation to one person like but like we have this uh term in korea uh uh, eighth grade syndrome which is considered as like a joke or like it's like it's like a meme, like, oh, why are you acting like that? Like, are you having eighth grade? And like, they kind of make fun of eighth grade people. And I thought it was very unfair because you guys also went through that stage and you were serious back then and you suffered and that was weird. You cannot really see that period as a passing period. And like, not only because of the fact that you are an adult, you cannot um, deny the period and you cannot just like ignore or like overlook how you felt at the time. And I wanted to bring that emotions. Uh, But like, it was very important for me to have a healthy distance because without healthy distance as a creator, 
um, you kind of like depict the world in a, in a negative way, but that's why I really spent many years to meditate and also like uh, get therapy about, uh, so that I can, you know, emotionally uh, have this distance, healthy distance, so that I can just only focus on creating, creating a new story. And to do that um, meditation and also lots of lots of research um like there were a lot of like out me and my assistant directors researched a lot about radio and tv show back then and we uh, meticulously like studied what kind of um radio show or tv show we should put uh, throughout the films to have this like uh, period uh, appeal and also we need to also we also had to like think deeply if we show some new scenes throughout the film then new scene have to be very very uh, iconic symbolic uh, to koreans and also broad uh, international audiences so it was like ongoing research and study uh, and like recollecting memories from my side and also from many, many people who are involved in the film. So I got a lot of uh, feedback on screenwriting process and I also wanted to get, I, I, I also got feedback from Korean audiences and also international uh, friends that I have. Um, and also the age that I got in terms of getting feedback on the screenplay. I got feedback from middle schooler and high schooler and also like people who are in 60 or, or 50. So I got feedback on purpose uh, uh, from people who are from all walks of life and who are in different age uh, so that I can gather and grasp what middle school and uh, adolescents would feel like to everyone who's in different stage of life so that I can make this film as collective story. So it was like, it, 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 I, I basically worked really hard. Like, I don't really, um, I wouldn't say I am like 100% happy about the film because as a director, I see like some points that I'm not happy, some scenes that are not, that I'm not 100% happy, but I'm like, I am so confident to say that I did all my best uh, working on this film, yeah. Yeah, so you just talked about some of the feedback that you asked for from different age groups. I was just wondering, like, what was some of the most helpful feedback that you got back? Yeah, good question. Um, it's not like one specific feedback, but it was kind of like some tendency that I find whenever I, I, I get feedback. So I found this tendency that everyone, almost everyone who read this script, they have different favorite scenes and different favorite characters. And I like that. Not everyone liked the main character, Uni. Like, of course, majority of people would like her. That's like a basic, but like some people like father character some people like Yongji uh, the teacher Chinese teacher character 
some people would really, really love the lesbian character Yuri. I don't know. She's so into herself, and in a in a in a good way. She loves Uni, hundred percent. Why Uni wasn't like that? But and then after she finished her love, she she just disappears <laughs> because she did her best. Um, people like that attitude. Actually, I don't I don't find Yuri um, as a negative character because she did her best, and nothing worked. And it looks like. A, it looked like Uni is like, you know, seeing two people and like not sure about this love and Yuri leaves. And I think it was kind of wise action. And so like in that uh, context, in many, many different contexts, everyone has different favorites in different favorite characters. And that actually made me feel very relieved thinking, oh, this could be a very interesting story. This film might be very, very interesting when it came out, when, it, when Uruk come out, yeah. Yeah, I definitely loved all those perspectives too. And I remember in eighth grade, like you can like someone one week and then the next week yeah. they're irrelevant <laughs> to you. Um, yeah. But I want to ask, um, you were talking earlier about kind of taking some time to research and to see the world exactly kind of as it is. And I think that came through a lot in the news clips that you brought up, but also in how you merged politics with your art. And a lot of the issues that were raised in the movie seemed to like kind of blend the political and the personal. And I especially saw that in terms of the kind of critique of the education system that was going on. And I was wondering, how did you work to strike that balance? First of all, I think when you watch a film, you could feel the director. If it's an art film, especially, I'm, I wouldn't like talk about very, very commercial films. Um, but like, if, if when you watch art films or independent films, you could feel who the director is. Like, you could guess. Um, it's because the director puts so, so much effort and love toward the film and because the film kind of shows and explain like what kind of uh, life value and politics that the director ha has. I think my perspective and life value as a person, it kind of applies to uh, the film when I make, when I make film just naturally and then and then second part like i intended to have that parallel between personal story and the political story because i see the world in in that way always because um you're not a you're not an individual i mean you're in you're an individual but your life is always connected and mingled with everything everything, literally, basically, like, literally everything. Like, uh, with people, your life is always mingled with people that you met, you have met, and uh, your society, and school, and neighborhoods, every, everything is mingled with everything, and you get affected by a lot of facts of your life. And your taste is not your taste because your taste is the outcome of your you growing up 
where you grew up and like what kind of friends you hung out and that sort of thing. And I like the fam very famous famous notion: the personal is political. It's it's now is everyone knows the the notion the the coat. But I still really love the coat and see things like that. Uh, so I wanted to make this film as a uh, as a Unis coming of age story, but also South Korea's coming of age story. And I see the parallel between uh, Unis inner growing and her uh, inner collapse of everything, like relationship and everything around her uh, can be linked with the actual physical collapse <clears throat> of the Songsu Bridge. Yeah, I was just actually about to ask about that like you know one obviously one of the main turning points in the film is the collapse of this bridge mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if this is too personal of a question but do you have particular memories of this event and how it impacted you and the way that you saw your own life mm, yeah um i grew up in seoul and i still live in seoul and the bridge was very close from my neighborhood that was very um, unforgettable day. I felt sad. None of uh, none of my friends or family members died of the accident from the accident, but I felt sad and I felt defeated, defeated on the day because I I couldn't really articulate why I felt that way. But later. Um, when I grew up, I, I knew that that feeling came from kind of collective sadness. And I think I was connected to the world. And even though um, my relatives or friends die, uh, didn't die from the accident, I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be, I couldn't just feel relieved because that accident felt like happened to me too by seeing death by death of uh, a lot of people and who are especially um teenagers who are similar to my age back then uh, and then when i was making this film i i started to do research on the photos of the accident and just by looking at photos of the broken bridge, collapsed bridge, made me feel physically suffer, actually. Like, like when I was looking at the photos, I felt pain, like deep-seated pain coming out. And I remember like one online comment uh, of House of Hummingbird. <clears throat> uh, I remember this one comment uh, he was saying, the day that Songs Bridge collapsed, my baby was born. So whenever we have my uh, our childest childest birthday day, I think about the bridge collapse. And that was very memorable comment because you kind of see death is always close to your life 
and things happen to someone else really affect on affect on you too like many other national tragedy like 911 or earthquakes in japan um i wanted to make that connection uh that you get you are uh, largely affected by everything that's happening around you and so like relating to that obviously like yuni's um sister like almost you know dies on the bridge um and just by chance you know she didn't and i feel like that was sort of already like a connection towards like someone close to you being impacted by like a world event so then why do you think it was necessary for yunhee's teacher to have passed on that bridge like why that extra tragedy in the movie mhm this film was like the love cut was 2 hours and 44 minutes we had to cut down many many scenes now it's 2 hour and 18 minute and in the original screenplay unni's sister she survived from the accident because the at the morning she was fighting with her father so she missed the bus and that was she was able to survive and there was like a really long monologue of the sister saying she really wanted to kill herself because she was so depressed after fighting with her father but she survived because of the fight and like she cried um in that scene but i really like the scene but we had to edit the scene because of the horror structure um but i wanted to show that life is not simple life is very complex i wanted to show that life is always complex and seemingly good thing or seemingly bad thing might not always turn out and lead to good things sometimes bad things bad accident bad relationship might bring good things in your life like in a different way like you never know one how one thing leads to another uh, i wanted to explain that sort of thing uh why dealing with the sister's accident and in the same context i wanted to bring the teacher youngji's death your loved one survived but the other one that you still you really love and actually care more than your family at the moment died and i think that is our life and songs bridge collapse was like that too you how could anyone think the bridge can collapse that was shocking like the same thing like how could anyone would imagine the twin towers would collapse just one day one all of the sudden that was very sudden and like we are all shocked as korean like that accident was like kind of wake up call 
for us to really think what it means to be human beings and how we should build everything. At the time, we had these two major uh, national tragedy, which was Songsu Bridge collapse, and the next year, Sampung department store in Gangnam also collapsed. And that two years, within the two years, we lost so many people. And that happened in our everyday daily lives. You, you went to shopping and then all of a sudden, the department store collapsed. That was so sudden and unexpected. And that was life. And I think a tragedy always comes to you that way. It doesn't knock you in advance. Hello, can I go into your life? No, it just happens. And like you kind of face that accident all of a sudden without any notice. And I wanted to bring that uh, context into the death of the teacher. Yeah, but I feel, I feel sad about killing that character because everyone really loves the character and like some audience come to me and I say, Director Moraki, why did you kill Youngzi in your film? <laughs> that yeah. tension buildup was so good. I, I really did not expect that at all. Something kind of related to what you were just talking about. You were revealing that in the rough draft, the sister actually did cry. Um, really resonated with me because I noticed throughout the film, I think every member of the family, there is a scene of them crying. Um, and why do you think it was, why, why did you choose to show them crying? What did you feel like it gave to the audience? Um, actually, uh, in Uni's uh, family members, like, uh, they, not everyone cried. Actually, mom, hmm. she and the sister uh, she cries but like not because of the accident but like mm. actually the family members who would cry the most were male family members uh, father and brother and actually a lot of Korean female audiences come to me and ask question why men are only crying in this film men are only like crying so dramatically in this film but they knew, they of course also knew the answer because in the uh, male dominated society and patriarchal society who to express emotions more who to have this freedom to express emotions more who to uh, see themselves as like pity people who would have more pity on themselves? I think it's main. I think women in this film are very, very like resilient. They are, they are going through a lot of suffering, but they don't complain, I think. Like Uni's mom, she's, she's doing everything. She packs food, lunch boxes, and she works really hard. And she raised kids and she, she does everything, but she never complained. That's why she looks so lost. But the father, she goes out and she, he, he goes out and then he takes dance lesson and all that. And she cry, he cries over his life. 
and the brother also cries uh, for some reason at the bridge collapse day. So a lot of women in Korea find it interesting because that's actually really similar to our life. It, I think in Korea society or, or everywhere, men are, tend to show their emotions more in a, in a twist, twisted way, I, I would say. They, they, are, they, are, they learn they shouldn't cry and when they cry, sometimes it's very twisted or it's out of nowhere or their emotions uh, are expressed in a different way. It may be like violent way. Um, I wanted to kind of bring that notion that women are not crying, but like men are crying in this household. And then who's, who's the who suffers and who wouldn't suffer here? Like on the roof of the patriarchy, I think everyone is victim. No one is winner. Um, father and the brother, especially the brother character, might be seen as like mean person, but he's also suffering. He suffers a lot from the educational pressure, but he doesn't know how to express his emotions. So that like compressed emotion burst out. Uh, in the context of bridge collapse and the father character also like if it was in his mom she would like try to solace in in a kind of maternal way at the hospital but the father just cries out of nowhere because i think the cry comes from his own life his own suffering I think he's just seeing his suffering by seeing uh, the, his daughter's suffering. So I, I just wanted to show this complex character of many family members of Uni and also uh, showing these two male characters crying. Uh, I want you to ask question that these people are also suffer and they're not just suppressor. They're not like bad people. And that was one thing that I really um, was aware when I was creating characters. I wanted to always like bring both sides of all the characters. They're, they're not just good person or bad, bad person. They have both and very, very different complex size of as a human character. I was so surprised at like how much empathy you created for the brother, despite the fact that he was like hitting her. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess like, were you surprised by the reception of the film and how many people could relate to like its subtleties? Mm -hmm. And also, did you notice any differences between what people related to for like a South Korean audience versus like an international audience? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think in a broader sense, um, feedback that I got uh, on this film was similar. I think people really loved the journey. 
uh, main character's Eunhye's journey, and I think they feel related to her journey because I think in the end, everyone uh, is on their journey. They, they are on, on their journey. So I think people feel very, very connected to Eunhye because they see themselves in the character. Um, but of course, the reaction in South Korea was like sensational. It, it was like almost like to the point that I felt overwhelmed. Around that time on Twitter or on Instagram, everywhere on social media, like so many people are talking about House of Hummingbird and this film actually um, got best film at Baeksang Art Awards, which is one of the top three major film awards in Korea. And um, this film was the like, second film by female directors in their history. And actually first film that got best film award as a first feature film. And as a actually as an as an indie film, you're not even get no, nominated for that category because uh, they they mostly give um, new filmmaker uh, category for indie filmmakers, but like this category was for like more for like uh, studio films or like big budget films or quote big films. So I was very surprised that. The, this film got so many like awards in Korea. Of course, around the around the country, but like it, it was almost like a rare experience for indie film, especially first indie film, to be nominated and get awards from these major uh, Korean film awards. I'm not just talking about awards, but like that reaction from Korean, Korean audiences were sensational. Like I, I think a sensational was, would be the right word because one, I remember one audience, Korean female audience come to me, came to me and saying, uh, you gave me the vocabulary and language to my trauma that I couldn't really articulate. Um, I think still uh, words needs a lot of work in terms of feminism and gender equality. Um, and I think Korean women suffer a lot when they are growing up because they learn the word is not fair. I remember when I was in high school, it's kind of a bizarre experience. I think this this experience was even rare to anybody in Korea. My teacher, home home homeroom teacher, uh, asked for this woman, female student, to be a vice president of the class when she got elected as president, class president. So she got chosen as president, and he he suggested. Oh, you, because you're a woman, why don't you give your president spot to uh, a guy, a boy who got vice president spot? 
So she became vice president and he became president. And that was traumatic when I was in high school. Um, but that sort of thing happens everywhere. Sexual harassment or or like some base, like some stupid notion like, oh, women should get married and like have kids, that's women's happiness. A lot of school teachers would just make that sort of notion. And also like when I watch films in Korea, uh, many directors depict teenage girls as like, just like girls who are only interested in boys or they're just really easygoing and always happy, <laughs> one dimension. Um, so female, especially Korean female audiences really like in his face having so many different emotions and depth because that kind of face is rare in media. I think media around the world, like girls are depicted as like kind of airhead sometimes or like they're only talking about boys when we are not actually, when we are not actually like that. So audiences really find uh, amusing to see their real faces uh, from the film. So I think that was very, very touching to see uh, that sort of reactions from my own country. Yeah, of course, uh, male audiences love the film too. Uh, but like I would say that the reaction from female, Korean female audiences was like, so, so, I, I could feel that they take this film as their own story. Yeah. I think male audiences would take this story as their own story too, but like they kind of appreciate, they also appreciate like how the film is well made and like how this is like beautifully shot and like the complex story lines and all that. But, but then I, I think I felt like these Korean female audiences take this film as if they're just exploring their own story watching the film. Yeah. So they would always cry. A lot of audiences would cry during Q&A. And like, I remember one time the theater staff came to me after Q&A. I, I barely see this scene, the, the scene like this. Like I barely see audience cry Q, during Q&A and I'm impressed. And actually like, people from my distribution companies uh, they said same thing, like they barely see things like that, like audience crying and sharing their own personal memories after they watched the film. And I felt very grateful and thankful that they share their own stories um, in theaters because that's really, that really, that happens rarely. Uh, and I felt that they, trust me as a person and they share their own story because maybe they felt like I shared stories honestly, really honestly, and they, they maybe wanted to return showing, sharing their own story. And I, I still feel very thankful about that experience. And I, this film like took six years 
to make and it was really hard process of course but i think as a director seeing this reaction from audiences made me so happy and i i also think i also realized that why i made this film i think i made this film to be connected to the world and share things with the people and that audience reaction really made me think what it means to be a an artist and why i still and want to continue making films in the in the future yeah yeah um that's incredible yeah i just wanted to say again how much we love the film personally um and we're so happy to see that it's getting like all the awards and recognition because it's like just such like an amazing achievement um and we don't want to take up too much of your time but i think our last question is um like what about this story um made it take six years to tell and also like what direction do you feel that you're do you want to do big budget films in the future or do you think you're going to stick to smaller um art house films none of commercial investors <laughs> invested this film wanted to invest this film because they think this film wouldn't be successful commercially because first of all, the main character is middle school girl. A lot of people actually told me to change the main character into a high school girl so that I can cast a famous actress who's in early 20s. Um, but I didn't listen to the comment because I wanted to make main character as eighth grade. Um, so, the funding process took many years. Actually, I, I finished first draft within two months. And like the writing itself, of course I revised throughout that many years, but the first draft only took like two months and, uh, and I could have finished script earlier than six years, but this funding process took many years because I got many, many different sources from our very different organization like Korean Film Council, Seoul Film Commission, uh, Seoul International Film, uh, Women's Film Festival, Busan International Film Festival, and Sundance. So I get different funds from little by little from very different organization and that took many years. And in terms of my next film, I'm working on sci-fi film and it's big budget film, yeah. It's a different, whole different genre, but I think I will try to make different sci-fi vocabulary in this film, yeah. Awesome, well, we'll definitely be looking out for it. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for answering our questions. I feel like I gained so much insight into you as a person and how that definitely translated to House of Hummingbird. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Bora Kim and check out her film, House of Hummingbird. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com, or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.